We good? All right. Good morning, everyone. Why don't we uh, grab a seat, David Eicher. Um, <laughs> great to uh, see you all this morning. Let's uh, go ahead and begin with uh, prayer. Father God, we uh, just come before you uh, just to acknowledge your goodness and your greatness. Uh, we want to worship you this morning, Lord. We want to praise you. We want to lift your name on high because you deserve all glory and honor and praise. So, Lord, we ask that you would just be with us this morning. We pray that you would be pleased with, with our service, with our fellowship, with our teaching, with our worship, with our, our time together, Lord God, and just pray that you would be lifted up and glorified. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to be in our midst, whether it's in this building or whether it's in the houses around the, around the community and around the world that are watching this, we just pray that you would draw us together in unity, Lord God. And uh, we thank you, Spirit, that you will just be speaking into our hearts and minds this morning. Pray for your blessings and protection upon our time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, great to see you all this morning. Um, just want to uh, give you a few updates and some announcements. Um, things are definitely happening around the church. Things are starting to feel a little bit more normal, which is kind of nice. I mean, we're still a little bit limited uh, in our sanctuary, but we're hoping that those, will, those limits will increase over the next few weeks and months. But church is still happening. We've still got a lot of great things going on in the church. Last Wednesday evening, we had a, a really nice praise and worship and prayer night down here in the back parking lot. Uh, which was just a great experience. It's a beautiful evening, great night of worship. Um, then Thursday night, we had a baptism. We had little uh, Vivian and Mercedes McCoo got baptized in sort of a front yard baptism at their house, which was, which was awesome. And we've got lots of stuff starting back up for the fall. Kim Schuler has a women's Bible study that's starting up on Monday night. Uh, so if you are interested in that, please contact her. Mops is going again, Mothers of Preschoolers, uh, the first and third Tuesday of every month, so be sure to uh, look at that. And our life groups, we're really trying to start our life groups back up. Some of them have been going this whole time, but we've got a few that kind of hit the pause button and are now hitting the resume button. And we've got some new groups starting as well. So if you are interested in life groups, if you are interested in being involved in a small group, um, please let us know that. All of this information is available on the website. We encourage you to go to the website, look this stuff up, all the church events, um, all the information about women's ministry and men's ministry and youth ministry and life groups is all out there. For life groups, you can click on a link to actually sign up to get more information to let us know you're interested. So again, make sure you go out to the website and check out all that good information. We've done a really good job of consolidating everything there for you. Um, this morning we have a very special event, so Gus, why don't you come on up? We've got a baby dedication, actually several it looks like, so great to see you guys. The Piascowies are going to be coming up and doing a dedication, and Gus is going to lead us through that. This morning we are going to dedicate these two beautiful babies, little Tessa and Hudson. And dedication is an interesting thing. We, you might ask, well, how did it originate. Well, some would suggest that it really originated with Hannah in the Old Testament. And she had gone to the temple to worship, and she was barren at that time. She couldn't have babies, and she just cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, if you give me a baby, I'll dedicate my baby to you for the rest of his life. And uh, God answered her prayer. And she had the great prophet Samuel 
We don't keep those little things there. <laughs> you know, one of the cool things about Samuel, a lot of people don't know, is that he could hear the voice of God from an early age, which I think is pretty profound. And that's what we hope for both of these two, is that he would just really hear his voice. Um, so what we want to do here, it's, I'm going to ask you guys, uh, and also the Hillside community, uh, I'm going to ask you two questions and your response, if you want to be involved, is say we will. Okay, let me ask this first question, Jordan, Kaelin, and Hillside, are you going to be committed to showing grace to Tessa and Hudson and helping them to hear the word of God? And you say? We will. Got to be a little bit more enthusiastic. <laughs> Ike? Come on back there, bro. <laughs> Second question. Will you also help Tessa and Hudson to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord? Yeah. Awesome. Let me read two passages. Kaylin and Jordan, pray over these beautiful things. Let me read them for you. Luke chapter 10, verse 27 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Then Ephesians chapter 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgive you. Boy, if they could just practice that their whole lives, huh? that'd be amazing. Well, let me pray for you guys, and let me ask you to put your hands out as if you're praying over them together. Father God, we just cry out in a similar way. We're just so grateful, God, for our community that cares about the lives of little ones, that they would grow to be devoted followers of you. And we pray for Hudson and Tessa that Lord, there would just be something that would be moved by your spirit at an early age. Move towards Jesus. And we really, we cry out like Hannah. We ask you, please, there's nothing more important than us knowing you and living for you. That's our lives. So we dedicate these babies, we just dedicate this community just to be involved, to love them from an early age like you do, to care for them and encourage them to be the people of God that you want them to be committed, devoted to Jesus. That's our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. song yet here but it's a good one it'll get stuck in your heads too God I'm on my knees again God I'm begging please again I need you oh I need you walking down this desert road Water for my thirsty soul I need you Oh, I need you Your forgiveness Is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips It's like the sound of a symphony to my ears 
this morning in this place, in this community, God, in our homes. God, we, uh, we love you and 
God, we say that uh, we praise you and we'll never stop praising you. So God, have your way in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Morning. It's good to see you guys. Wilmots. What's up? Representing California today. It's been a while. No? Are you moving back? No. Oh, well, welcome back for a few months. That's awesome. Your kids are growing. So I'm going to walk us through really quickly all of Ephesians <laughs> in like three and a half minutes. So this is the test. You can time me if you want. It's really interesting. As we started back probably November, December, when we were talking about where we were going to head, we had no idea that we were going to end up in the circumstances and the situations that have confronted us over the last five, six, seven months. I mean, just there's a lot that's going on right now. And as we've walked through Ephesians, the, the poignancy, the the just every week how God has been revealing himself, his power and his truth has really made sense. So looking at it now, just the retrospect of looking back, it's like, oh, well, of course, that's why we chose Ephesians. It's because we needed to specifically walk through it in a way that would be completely relevant to everything that we're experiencing. And today we're going to take one final look. This is the last day we'll be in Ephesians for a little bit. So in doing that, I thought we would do just a little synopsis. And if you guys have ever been on um, the Bible Project, this is it's just a great tool. I encourage families to get on it. If you're doing Bible studies, get on it. What it does is it really captures in a very creative, artistic way a, a summary of what it is that we're reading through Scripture. And so this is like where you want to allow the parts to interpret the whole and the whole to interpret the parts. This program really does a great job of that. So really quickly, just to look back, nine months in three and a half minutes. Go. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do all of it. But what we get to see is as Paul is writing this letter to the church of Ephesus, you can also see some of the, the writing of this in Acts 19. And so there's a parallel to Paul in his missionary journey in Acts 19, which shows why it is that he's on this course and why he's writing this letter at this point in time when he's in jail in Rome, because the church of Ephesus was the church that he established, that he planted. The book is broken up really, really wonderfully into two sections, the first three chapters and the second three chapters. The first three chapters is really about the gospel story. So God's epic story of bringing the gospel to us. And then the last three stories is our story, your story, playing out as an as a effect because of what God's story is. In the first part, you can see the opening poem. And Paul eloquently just outlines in this poem God's love for us, having chosen us, having said, I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue you. And all of this is going to be done in Christ because of who Christ is. And he's going to create a covenant family, which 
includes Gentiles and includes Jews, a concept that at that time was widely not accepted. But in that he's saying then through his prayer, he's going to focus on what God's role is, what Christ's role is, and what the Holy Spirit role is in this new covenant family. And we see very specifically, I think we rested here for a little bit, the importance of the Holy Spirit now dwelling within us and giving us the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then we learn about God's grace and how God's grace was given to us as a gift. We're going to talk a lot more about that today because that's relevant in how Paul has closed this book. And then he talks about how now we're going to have this whole new multi-ethnic family where the walls of hostility have been broken down and we now can live in peace, in shalom, in completeness because of what God has done through Christ and who we now are having been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in the middle, there's a big therefore. And we transition into us. So the first part of this was really summarized in, um, I think it was Ephesians 1.10, where he just talks about, I'm going to bring unity to all things under Christ. And then the second part is found in Ephesians 4.1, where it talks about, um, I'm going to compel you to live a life worthy of your calling. So this transition is the unity of Christ, and now to us, live a life worthy of your calling. And the first part of that is making sure that we understand our oneness. Like we are one, there is one church, there is one body, there is one father, there is one baptism, one, one, one. We are together in oneness and our salvation makes us one, one covenant family. How am I doing on time? Sorry, let's just check it. I got one minute left. But through that, unity doesn't mean uniformity. Just because we've all been saved under this umbrella of salvation and God's grace, the unity we have also has roles and functionality in it. Paul then wants to help us understand that the function doesn't make any one of us more important. Just because I'm standing up here today or this worship team is leading in worship doesn't make me any more important than anyone. The, the unity that we have in the gospel, but there's also functionality that needs to happen for the building up of God's church. And, and in that, we recognize the big difference because there used to be a temple but now we're the temple and God's body is found in us with Christ being the head of the church. And so that's where the unity and the uniformity comes together where we're going to work out. And today I'm going to train you because part of my job is to make sure that we understand what God's work is for the building up of his church. It then moves us over into understanding in our story the difference between the old life and the new life. Like there was this time before Jesus and now there is a time with Jesus, and, and it looks really different. It talks a lot about, Paul really outlines that this, this difference is when you were walking before without Christ in your life, things look this way. But living a life worthy of your calling now looks this way. And these are the attributes to that. And in that, we get gifts from it. And, and, and this is what's really fun to me is, is if you're really living these things out appropriately, the natural response is to sing. And if you know me, I'm not the best singer in the world. So I was challenged with this a little bit. But that is what Paul says. If you truly are living into the new self, one of the things that's going to flow out of that is having a, a joyous, songful expression, being thankful, and then in the end, elevating others. 
which then takes us into what we talked about, just what does the Christian household look like? Well, it looks like the wife should put her husband above herself, elevating others, and the husband should put his wife above himself. There should be respect from the wife, and there should be from the husband an element of I'm going to put all of my stuff aside, and I'm going to raise my wife's needs above mine, just like Christ and the church interact together. He goes on to talk even further about what that looks like for parents, for children, for workers, for people working. And then concludes in the last part of chapter 6, saying that this is an evil world. And even though we have all this stuff, we know what God's story is, we know what our story is, we need to make sure that we contend appropriately and we clothe ourselves with the kind of clothing that is heavenly and divine, not our own strength, but God's strength. We're going to put on his salvation and his truth. We're going to carry his shield and his sword, and we're going to combat the arrows that the enemy will fling at you every day. And so in that, it takes us to where we're at today. I encourage you to go watch this, actually. They do a much better job of just clarifying and walking through what it is that we've just studied. But for us today, the importance of it is moving in, I was reading these four verses and it just, I was like, where am I gonna go with this? We were even laughing about it. How do, you, how do you preach on like the ending part of a letter? Well, of course, in the last two weeks, the Lord has said, well, here's how. And let's make sure, Paul didn't put this in here. The Lord did not put these words on paper for no reason. And I think as we conclude this, we're gonna see the correlation between the start of Ephesians and really what it means for each and every one of us here today. We're going to start by examining the four questions. Well, three questions with multiple parts in it that you guys all should have received. And if you're sitting there thinking, I didn't look at those questions, this is a great time for you to kind of realize that we do send out stuff to prepare for Sundays. Make sure you open it up. So if you do get it, open it, read it, because you would have been contemplating these questions coming in here. They are these. How would people, well, maybe you don't want to be contemplating these too long because I'm like, how do people describe me? I don't know. I've, I've gone back and forth with this on many, many occasions in the last week. Um, how do people describe you and your service to the Lord? These are questions you're asking yourself. What are the two internal and external values God wants you to implement in your life? Are you living with sincere faith and what does that really mean? So at the end of this message, I'm hoping that each of you will have answered these or at least written down some stuff that says I need to explore a little bit more so that I can have a better understanding of what these look like. So let's read our verse together. Four verses. Very last part of Ephesians 6. It says this. Now, so that you may know how I am and what, am I, what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother, and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and that he may comfort and encourage and strengthen your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and sisters, and love joined with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with undying and incorruptible love with a sincerity so this is going to be what we tear apart today we're going to look at this and there's a bunch of ways that we're going to look at it there's five different sections and we're going to go through each of them specifically out of these four verses so the first one starts with this 
so that you may know how I am and what we are doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, is going to tell you everything. So this is the starting point for you to ask yourself, what would people say about me? Like, think about you're walking into a room. What do you think the thoughts are of people as you walk in? I mean, we all have that. And I don't think we oftentimes need to really think about that because I'm not really into people-pleasing. But as it pertains to this, and it pertains to being a representative of the Lord, and as it pertains to making sure that you're serving in the right kind of way, it's, it's a good question to ask. Like, do people go, kind of go, mm, dang it, here comes Kevin. He's kind of, he's rough around the edges. He's difficult to be around. He's maybe a little abrasive. What do people think? I mean, ask yourself that question of yourself. If you were going to say something about yourself, what would you say about you? How would you describe who you are? It's kind of tough, right? Because I think in the back of our mind, we really know. But sometimes we're a little easier on ourselves. Because a lot of times we do judge ourselves based upon our intentions rather than our actions. But in this, Tychicus was described as beloved and faithful. He had been around Paul for a really long period of time. He was instrumental into the churches of Asia being established. He hung out with Paul. He knew what was going on, and in turn, the people that Paul was hanging out with hung out with Tychicus. They knew who he was. They had meals with him. They probably woke up. They probably walked. They did life together, and because of that, they were encouraged by the fact that this was who this man was. Now, Tychicus is with Paul in Rome at this point, and he's sending him now to represent him this letter, the gospel, and everything in it, do you think that the Lord would send you to represent him in any occasions? Which is a great question. I think we've got to ask ourselves, like, are we seen as beloved and are we seen as faithful? So this week alone, I've done two reference letters, one reference phone call, and it's really interesting. You know, people call because they want to ask questions, like, um, what is this person really like? This is what they said they're like, but what are they really like? And I'm very honest. Like the, one of the joys about being in the youth ministry has been writing reference letters for children who are going off to college. And for me, it's a joy, and I'm really honest, and I'll write any reference letter for you guys. Because what's important about that is you get to give the true picture of who this person, person is in a reference letter. And they always conclude by saying, is there anything else I've not asked that you need to tell me? about this person, which is kind of like the open door, like, oh yeah, actually, there's some stuff that I really want to say. And so that's kind of the formation of how people see you. What's well, interesting because I've, I've also put down my own bio. Like you go to the website for chaplains, I wrote my bio. <laughs> I look really good in my bio. But bios are like just things that you do, um, projects that you've had, accomplishments in your life. I don't think bios even really give you a good understanding of who someone is. Like, there are a lot of people out there that will come in with a bio and a really good application and sit down in an interview. They might have straight A's, and they're going to hire the person with high C's. Why would that be? Because the other person represents themselves, maybe as beloved and faithful. They have a character, and the character becomes really important. How would people describe you and your service to the Lord? I just completed... You think you went through a big background. I just went through my SF-86 for an agency that I work with. And it's just this elaborate question. If you work, I'm sure you guys have had to do those too. And, you know, the questions in there, they're, 
like, are you really asking me this right now? Like, do, why do you need to know about this? Well, the, the point of it is, is they want to gather as much information. And in doing this document, it takes you four or five hours. And if you've traveled ever overseas, then it takes you longer because you've got to write down all the people that you talk to. And like, well, what's the relevance of this? Well, they just want to make sure that you are who you say you are. But even at the end of doing this SF-86, they're not going to know me. And that's not going to represent me. They're just going to know I'm not a liar and not a terrorist, right? They're going to know, they're going to look at my, my bank account, they're going to pull up all kind of credit reports and find out if I'm delinquent. They're going to know a part of who I am, but they're not going to know me. Tychicus was known because he lived with the people and he interacted with them. There's not a time where you should be on or off. I try to be the same up here as I am in my home with my children and with my friends. There's no like, oh, I'm going to become the pastor now and I'm going to act a certain way. And I've told stories about how I get caught in that sometimes. I mean, the funniest was when I was driving up in King Supers and I'm, I'm jamming Rush. I still laugh about this all the time. And I pulled up and there was someone from church I'm finding Caleb as quick as possible. And I was like, why would I do that? Why would I switch from Rush to Caleb? I want to make sure that I continue to represent myself well in all that I do, be authentic. And that's what I think Tychicus did. Paul then goes a little step further. He gives us some examples of why Tychicus was beloved and faithful. He gave three very clear things of why he was sending him to interact with the people of Ephesus. And I think these are pretty cool. So he says the purpose so that you know, may know how we are. I mean, think about it. If you're going to send someone off to represent you, he's sending him to represent himself, Paul. And he wants to make sure that he does it in a way that he's going to actually tell them the truth. He's not going to kind of go this direction or this direction or have his own agenda or politicize anything. He's going to represent the gospel. He's going to represent God's truth. And he's going to represent Paul in an effective way. And he does that through comfort, encouragement, and strength. And these are the things, like when I walk in a room, I want to walk in and hopefully exude these types of things. They don't have to be these three, but they should be similar to these three. They should be things like this that flow from being a follower of Christ, having the Spirit in you, being connected to the throne room. What is flowing out when you walk into a room? Well, first was comfort for Tychicus. He eased, he alleviated people's grief, their distress, and their anxiety. He was a man of comfort. He was also an encourager. I couldn't tell if that was someone pushing, so I put it up there. I was like, is he pushing him down? The intent is he's helping him up. So in this, the, the encourager is lifting people from where they are to where they need to be, to giving support and confidence and hope and advice and help. When I walk into a room, I would hope that we would all go, okay, Kevin's generally a pretty good encourager. Sometimes I'm not, but I try to be. Strength, to make stronger. And of course, this isn't, isn't about just physical strength. This is about spiritual strength. When you're in and around the people that God has sovereignly put in your life, from your spouses to your children to the people you work with, is your perspective to strengthen them in the knowledge and understanding is your perspective. And this is my goal is wherever I'm at with anybody that I'm with is to move one step closer to the Lord. And that could be people like Sean, who's really close to the Lord, 
but I want to be an encourager, and I want to sit down, and like, how can we now move towards the Lord in conversation so that we can walk away having been strengthened in our hearts and in our minds? So he wants to focus on that heart because that's the decision, the processing center in the Jewish life so that you would walk through, that you would be comforted, encouraged, and strengthened. I've talked a little bit about my role in the chaplain world. And honestly, when I send people off, it's to represent Rocky Mountain Police chaplains and to represent chaplains. There's only a handful of people right now that I would feel comfortable doing that with. And it doesn't mean that people are any better or worse. It's just that they've not walked with me. They don't know. They've not sat in meetings. They've not heard me have conversations with sheriffs and chiefs. And moving in that way is why Tychicus was in a place, because he had lived and breathed and moved. And so that goes back to the original question. Would God send you out to represent him? Because in order to be representation of someone else, you got to know him. You have to have lived with him. You have to know how he would answer those questions. How would Jesus respond to that? That's what Tychicus was, and that's what I want us to be for the Lord. I think there's a lot of people that are sitting around, why is the Lord not using me in these places? And it's because you're not being used in the places that God has already put you. Be used there. Be obedient in those places, and then God will give you more places. He will continue to send you if he knows he can trust you to represent him well. So in that, that's the first question. Make sure you know how people are describing you. Make sure you know how it is that you are serving the Lord. Then he gives us these two values. And if you've ever read through any of Paul's stuff, you understand that these are two values that he speaks of in most of his letters. Uh, grace, peace. When we studied the book of John, we really nailed down that, that we were, that's grace and truth. There was this really strong thing in the book of John of just grace and truth and grace and truth. Well, in Ephesians right now, we see this peace and grace just intertwined into everything. In relationships, in our stories, in God's story as it pertains to us, grace and peace, which takes us to verse 23, where it says, Peace be to the brothers and sisters, and love joined with faith, which comes only from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as you're going through this, I want you to examine the internal effects of, of peace, but also the external response of peace. There's two sides to this question. But the first is, how, how would the world define peace? I mean, what do you think? I mean, peace, like, peace out, homeboy. Peace is like no war. Peace is the upside-down cross split and looking like a cool peace symbol. But that's not the peace we're talking about. The world has a definition for peace, which is not at all what God's definition is of peace. There's a biblical and a, and a definition that becomes really relevant as we walk through this. They are very different. They're different for us internally, but they're also different externally because Jesus came and he was the Prince of Peace, right? But in being the Prince of Peace, there are probably people that walked around and said, he's not bringing a lot of peace. He's kind of messing up my world, right? He was changing things. He was challenging things. And yet that's what he brings. So as we look at this, we walk through life and there's pieces that are missing. And in our journey of life, 
we're, we're just trying to fill them. And God gives us opportunities through our family, through our work, through situations in and around us to fill these pieces. But what we don't realize is these pieces only come from God. Like there's a piece, the P-I-E-C side of it, and the P-E-A-C side of it. There's the pieces that can only be filled by God's peace. And as we've studied this, that only comes from him, as it, as it says in Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace. Jesus is the only one that can fill these pieces. And yet so many people are walking around trying to fill these pieces with shadows or different forms of peace when really it is God's shalom. What Paul's talking about, we went through this during Advent last year. This peace is translated into shalom and shalom means wholeness and completeness. So what he's saying is shalom my brothers and sisters, you got everything you need. Shalom, because of God's grace and his story and who you are now because of God's grace and his story. It means to be whole. And Paul understood this. Paul went through his life as a Pharisee and he worked really hard to earn God's peace. He worked hard to understand that completeness by doing things and doing things and doing things and as we'll see with grace here in a minute, he didn't accomplish it. He didn't find wholeness. He didn't find shalom because it wasn't being placed by the right forms. Jesus met with a woman at the well. You guys remember this story. And the thing I love about this story is Jesus goes up and she's there to get water. And he goes, you know, you keep drinking that water, you're just going to be thirsty. Always. You're going to be thirsty, you're going to be thirsty. But if you come and drink of the water that I have... You will never be thirsty. It is a wellspring of eternal life. And that's what peace is. So what he's saying is stop. Stop trying to fill your world with the pieces that don't come from shalom. Fill your lives with the things that come from God, Christ Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Those are the things that create shalom. Completeness fills the puzzle. There's only one piece to do that. Romans 8 or Romans 5 1 says, Therefore, we have been justified through faith. Because of that, we have peace. We have completeness with God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You can't, you can't take that away. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let this completeness, this wholeness, be the thing that rules your life. Walk around, wake up every morning, and knowing that you are complete. You don't have to try to become more complete. Peace be with you. Be thankful of these things. And after that, we see this all the way back in Isaiah, that Jesus came and he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crucified for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us wholeness, that brought us completeness, was now on him, and by his wounds we have been healed. So in this, Paul extends, even in his closing words, the reminder of shalom. And that's, that's encouraging, right? I mean, to sit here today and know after you've gone through all of Ephesians, there is this completeness. Do we need to be reminded of that like every day? I do, because life's rough. Life doesn't feel very whole sometimes. Life feels fairly disjointed, especially now. But don't focus on the exterior. Focus 
on what God has made for you. And then you can turn around and you can extend God's shalom to the rest of the world. Verse 24. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with undying and incorruptible love. So a reminder here of God's grace. And in understanding this, we go all the way back to Ephesians 1.3 where it just talks about this that you've got every spiritual blessing. So he's closing this out with the same way that he started. Grace, grace. You got everything you need. You got everything you need. In the beginning and the end, he puts two bookshelves on this and says, you've got all that's necessary. But in understanding the understanding the, the Hebrew definition of it, it, it goes back to some old words, which I'm not gonna try to pronounce because Sean will laugh at me. Um, but it means to bend and to stoop. And this is where much of the or, origination and explanation of grace comes from. And I'll explain this in a minute. But grace also comes from, straight from Ephesians, where we understand this undeserved favor that has been given to us. So this again goes to, you're not going to earn this. You're not going to be able to work for this, but it is a, it is a gift. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. There's nothing you did. It is a gift of God, not by works, so you can't boast about it. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to go and live a life worthy of his calling. Undeserved favor, given, not based upon our effort or our works. And this is what I think separates Christianity from every other religion that's out there. Every other religion is trying to earn their way into eternity. And this is what's different, is God's saying, there's nothing you can do. This is grace. It's given because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He is the atoning sacrifice. He knew, like I, I sat in this church this week with someone who was just really contemplating God's grace. I was like, everything you did this week, God knew about it when he was choosing to go to the cross and die. Nothing that our sins have done is surprising him. He knows, so that's an encouragement, and he still chose to follow through with it. So his grace is saying, you don't deserve this. So that's a pretty crazy thing to think about. Most of the time, we give things to people because they deserve it, right? We give them bonuses, we give them raises. You deserve it, you've worked hard. This is completely contrary to the way that we work, the way that we think, and it should have internal consequences. Like, we should walk around realizing that you've not done anything, which becomes really dangerous for Christians because we start becoming high and mighty and we forget where we've come from. We forget the grace that had been extended to us, which then should allow us to externally exude God's grace to the people that are around us. I was reading some John Piper this week and he kind of highlighted it really well for me in a couple different verses. I'm just going to read through this. Romans 3.24 really shares that grace is what inclines God to give gifts that are free and undeserved by sinners. 5.15, grace is the quality in God that produces free gifts for guilty sinners in salvation. 11.5 and 6, you can't work to earn grace. It is free and it is undeserved. 2 Corinthians 9.8, so that undeserved favor is part of it, but there's also something that comes out of it. There is there is a, a response that comes from being part of God's grace. God is able to make all things abound in you, 
so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So this gives the picture that grace is a power or an influence towards obedience. If, you don't, if you're not responding out of God's grace, it's actually really difficult to be obedient, to be about God's stuff. If you're about yourself, you're going to be about yourself. But when you're about God's grace and you're living in it, it pushes you towards obedience. 12.9 says, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So even in our weaknesses, God's grace has more room to work. 5.15.10 says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder, which working harder is the effects of grace than any of them. Not that it was um, not I, but the grace of God that is within me. So Paul is even saying, you know what, even in the midst of this, my weaknesses, the things that I'm doing, the being compelled to work even harder all comes from God's grace and his strength flowing through my weaknesses. Chuck Swindoll really paints the picture well for what grace means to bend and to stoop. So Peter and Tracy, you can correct me on this, right? So how often in England would you see the queen leave like her normal procession to go over to someone and bend down and, and talk to them? Ever? R rarely. And so because of that, the Queen of England has this prestige, has this kind of um, way about doing things. But she has gone out, and she has knelt down, and she has had conversations. And so the picture of it is someone who doesn't need to, it's kind of an unmerited thing, and she walks out and she gets on her knees and bends down. She stoops, and that's the undeserved part of it. Now, the Queen of England, as great as she is, woo no comparison to God, who has stooped down to us in our world, in our humanity. He has extended and shows grace, favor, and kindness to the one who doesn't deserve it and can never earn it. Receiving God's acceptance by grace always stands in sharp contrast to earning it on the basis of works. Every time the thought of grace appears, there is this idea of being undeserved, in no way is the recipient getting what he or she deserves. Favor is being extended simply out of the goodness and the heart of the giver. And so stooping of God into our world, do you guys understand that? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty awe-inspiring to understand that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who is more powerful than anybody has chose to stoop, to give us unmerited favor to allow us the opportunity. And that's how Paul concludes this. Grace, people. Faith, people. Let's make sure we wrap this up in a way that we understand these internal values and these external expressions of who God is. May our, our lives continue to reflect this peace and this grace. And the last point, and this is with the with. I mean, he kind of gives us a little bit of a clarification um, this is kind of like, and I want you to live a life worthy of your calling again. This is, it defined a little bit more. So as he's saying, and I want you to do this with undying and uncorruptible, with sincere faith. And this is difficult, because when we look at this, there's a lot in this world that is corrupting us. 
But the struggle here is to move away from the old self and continue to be in the new self. And how hard is that, right? We all got those things that are pulling and reminding and trying to move us back into the ways that we were. But he's telling us, don't be defiled. Don't be corrupted by the things of this world and the patterns that you see around us. Now, bear in mind, I think we in this room would probably think that we're going through unprecedented times right now. And I'm saying, I don't know that they are. If you look back over history, there's been some pretty unprecedented times. There's been plagues, there's been death, there's been wars, like horrific kind of wars where millions of people die. And so yes, what we're facing is tragic and difficult, but it's not any more difficult than what people have faced since the time of Adam and Eve. They are challenges and they are trials. And he's telling us, don't be corrupted by the things that you see in and around you. Live in such a way that you continue to keep your sincerity before you, before the Lord. I mean, you can even look right now, we're, we're coming up on an election in a few short weeks. And there's a lot of people that would probably base their faith, their heart, their actions on the outcome of an election. Does this election look any different than any other election we've had? Some would say yes. I don't think so. Because what happens is this election does not change God. God is immutable. Who do you serve? Do you serve the president? Well, you might if you work there. There might be some things that are influential that will affect us, but that doesn't change who our God is. It doesn't change what the throne room looks like. It doesn't change this completeness and this grace that has been given to us. So as we move forward, the challenge, even in dealing with a pandemic, do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Where is God in this? And can you move in a peaceable, made up a word, you can put that on the list, in a peaceful way and in a way that honors the grace that we have because none of that changes. Our time on this, on this earth is short. Make the most of it. As we go all the way back, as Paul gives us a summary, the, the gospel story and how it should reshape every part of our story. So as you leave here today, ask yourself these questions. Am I representing the gospel appropriately? Am I really moving in such a way that when I walk in a room, people are like, all right, I love it when that dude walks in. I love it when that lady walks in. I love it when that kid walks in because it exudes the belovedness and the faithfulness of what God's really calling us to, not based upon the circumstances or the situation, but based upon who our God is. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I do thank you. The challenge for this, for me, was really relevant this week. I just had a lot going on. I could have, and maybe did on a few occasions, get frustrated and maybe short and not represent you well. Father, I pray that through this I would continue to be challenged, to be an ambassador of Christ, to move in a way that would be honoring to you and really represent what it is that you've done for us, that you have brought completeness. Like, there's nothing more I need to do today, right now. I'm complete, I'm whole, and so are we, those that follow Jesus Christ. We have unmerited favor. We have access to the throne room of God. And as we sing these songs, we sing them as an expression of your grace and your peace. 
recognizing who you are and what you've done in and around us, providing us eternity. So we thank you for that, Lord. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's just sit in that for a minute. Um, Just the simple truth of uh, just being reflections of Jesus. The only way we can reflect something is if we're facing that something or someone.
Take the whole world and give me Jesus. Let all else fade away. Satisfied.
Turn your eyes. So turn your eyes upon heaven. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things so.
God, forgive us for just complicating things all the time. Jesus, it's all about you.
sing this verse very often, but I think it is very applicable today. Lord, I've been told to be ashamed. Lord, I've been told I don't measure up. Lord, I've been told I'm not good enough, but you're here with me. Sing that again. Lord, I've been told to be ashamed. Lord, I've been told I don't measure up. Lord, I've been told I'm not good enough. You're here with me. You're here with me. God, it's your grace that we've been saved, and it's your grace that carries us, that fulfills us that allows us to be, uh, to be your gospel, to live out your gospel. God, it's not about us and what we can accomplish. It's about you being with us. God, help us to allow people to see you in us, God. It's our desire. Amen. We're going to end with uh, the song we did last week. This is Rattle. And uh, yeah, if you didn't tune in last week, it, it was very rattly. So if you're not standing, let's stand and let's just sing this together. Saturday was silent. Surely it was through. <clears throat> Since when has impossible ever stopped you? Friday's disappointment. Sunday's empty tomb. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the praise making dead man walk again. Open the grave, I'm coming out, I'm gonna live, gonna live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling. Don't 
we are going to dismiss for the day, so thank you all for uh, joining us. We would just ask you to kind of uh, wipe down your chairs. They've been handing out the wipes as we were doing that last song. Wipe down your chairs, wipe down the area around you, and then if you could just leave in an orderly fashion starting in the back. We'd love to have you hang out and chat, but please do so outside, either in the parking lot or out in the front yard. Uh, but feel free to linger out there, but not here in the sanctuary. And have a blessed week. Thank you all for being here.